hey, we have a, something very special this weekend. Um, it's a missions focus weekend, and I don't know if you are aware of this, but every dollar that you give, we take 10% and put it into missions. And at the end of, or actually at the beginning of this year, we shared all the things that took place in 2020 and got such great feedback that we felt like we need to do this on a more regular basis. And so what we have done uh, for this weekend is we have brought in our five missionaries that we support. Now, from the start of Shine Church, we decided instead of supporting several missionaries with small amounts, we wanted to just choose a few with larger amounts. And so what we do is we take the tithe and offering that comes in against, we take 10%, and then we use what we can to fund these missionaries. And here's, um, here's the beauty of it. Um, not everybody is called to go, but everybody is called to be a part of it. And so whether you're sending somebody, and you're praying for somebody, you're funding somebody, or you're actually one that's going out on the field, we all have a part to play in this. We all are a family, and we get to celebrate and put this together as a family. And so uh, one thing before I introduce our first missionary, and that is this. As they share their hearts and as they share um, what they are doing, um, I believe that devil wants to come in and try to discourage us. And I don't want that to happen. I want you to receive what God has for you and rejoice with what's happening in the entire world. Yes? And it's funny because when somebody shares some stories and things like, it's amazing how the enemy will come in and start to kind of make you feel like you're inadequate or you're not doing enough. And I'm just here to say, um, you know what? We all have a part to play. And if we celebrate and listen to these stories, um, we get to rejoice as a family at what God is doing in the world, not just through these missionaries, but through Shine Church, because they can't do what they're doing without the funding that we give and the prayers that we offer up and the encouragement. And so... Um, if the enemy would start to whisper those things, just cast him aside, say, I resist you. The Bible says he must flee. And then you can rejoice as a family member about what God is doing. Amen? Amen. All right. So here's, we have five missionaries, like I said, that we support. Um, and so I wanted to give all of them an opportunity. We have four of them that are actually here live. One had to send in a video. Um, but uh, I'm going to just keep the introductions really brief. So, Brian, if you want to come up while he's coming up, Brian and Lori, and I'm only using first names because of the sensitivity with it being online and all of that, but Brian and Lori were actually Jubilee Fellowship um, attendees here at the Castle Rock campus before we became Shine Church, and uh, this man went on a mission trip. He'll tell you a little bit about it, but his life got radically changed, and he was like, I feel called to this, and so he, his wife, and his entire family went onto the missions field, and um, and when we became Shine Church, it was our great honor to be able to support and um, help them continue what they're doing, so would you guys give a warm welcome to Brian? Thank you. Thank you. Honored to be here with you all. Thanks, Pastor Dan. And uh, I'll tell you, I just want to just mention that you guys are part of an amazing church because not, I would say there's a lot of churches out there that don't have a heart and a mind for the world and for the rest of the world. It, they do for the community, but to go out further and to reach out to the world, have that mission mindset is huge. And being a part of a church like that is important. So you guys are a part of one. So that's cool. That's super cool. So yeah, um, Dan's right. Um, I've been at JFC, went to JFC, came down here with JFC, and then um, uh, was wasn't was, was I here part of the shine? No, shine happened when I was gone. But um, anyways, he's exactly right too. I went on a short term mission trip, and little did I know that that a few years later it would end up in Asia. And so be careful. I know I know later some uh, if they're going to talk again, there's some short term missions guys that already went for some from here. So be careful. 
God does crazy things. I never even dreamed that we would be where we were. So, but it's but it's been such a blessing. And so I, I um. I kind of was thinking of kind of what represents what we do, what's our heart, and, and it's really reaching the unreached. When we got there and we started to learn about the percentage of people in the world that's unreached with the gospel, it just broke my heart because it breaks his heart, and that's what it is. And so, um, so my, wife, uh, my, my wife, Brian, <laughs> that would be weird. Um, so I, I kind of was just thinking about what to share. You can go to the next slide. And, and, you know, I didn't want to spend a lot of time talking about the journey because what's most important is what God's doing. But, and I already kind of explained our journey. We were here and now we're there. So um, that's kind of how it goes. Next slide. But I did want to talk about, and uh-oh, I got the wrong one open here. Give me a second. Just what we needed, huh? Brian. Okay, so... I wanted to talk a little bit about unreached because I think, again, that's a misconception. People think unreached just means that someone hasn't heard the name of Jesus or, or maybe some, something like that. But, but the unreached is actually a term used by Joshua Project. Joshua Project is one of the leading organizations in the world that tracks the reach of the gospel. And by the way, too, I'm going to talk really, really fast, so I apologize. Um, and they track the, the reach of the gospel around the world. And they've developed 17,000 people groups across the world. And then they rank each one of them. They have a great website. You should go check it out sometime. It's super cool. But each group they rank is unreached, slightly reached, kind of reached, a little bit reached, and unreached. Something like that. Um, but the unreached ones are the ones that we were really focusing on. And, and so, and really these, these, these uh, people groups, these um, are, are really the nations that Jesus refers to when he says, we need to make disciples of all nations. It's not Russia, China, things like that. It's these people groups that he really wants to reach because you can have two people groups in a country and they're just like, they could be different countries as far as you know. Um, and so Joshua Projects defines an unreached people group as a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers of resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. So we have a lot of people groups out there that have a small, maybe even a dozen believers, but they don't have the knowledge and the resources to be able to evangelize their own people. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about, and so without, without our help, without us going to these places, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, um, for, for those people to be reached. So that's really important to God. And so uh, I'm just going to put this map up. Um, you can go back to the map. And, um, and talk about some of the statistics really quick. So 41, according to Joshua Project, 41.8% of the world is considered unreached. 41.8% by population doesn't have access to the gospel and doesn't, or doesn't have the resources to reach their own people. So 7.84 billion people in the world, 3.28 billion are unreached. Um, and Bangladesh and India, which are two of the places that we, we spend some time, are, are even, even crazier. Bangladesh, 98.8%. And the red dots represent unreached people groups. And the big blob there, and I, I had had a blue circle around it, but it's okay. The big blue blob there is India, and right next to it is Bangladesh. India is 95.6% unreached, 1.3 billion people. Bangladesh, 160 million. So just wanted to mention some of those numbers because I think we, we kind of lose concept of... of what's out there in the world besides um, in the U.S. So you can go to the next slide. So there's two places we really do a lot of work is India and Bangladesh. 
Uh, we really spend a lot of time in northern India, which is up in the Himalayas, which for me, I'm kind of a mountain man coming from Colorado, so it worked really well. Um, but these people are quite oppressed. Because there's less government influence up there, the radical religion kind of takes over, and there's a heavy Buddhist, some Hinduism. Because it's in the Himalayas, the Buddhist is, quite, is, is, more, is more common even than Hindu, but they're both there, and they both are very, very oppressive. And so the, the Christian churches up there, they, they cannot even meet in a building because people will know and they'll be persecuted for it. So they tend to go and they find a place where no one else knows about. They'll go in a field, they'll set a tarp on the ground and they'll worship. And it's amazing. And it's really amazing, but it just speaks to the oppression that they experience. And so you can go to the next slide. And so what we do in, in India is we, we go in and we we do kind of a, a, a training for them. It's four times that we go in, six months apart. So it takes us about a year and a half. And it's three days per, per time that we're there. And what we do is we teach and train them. We do kind of a, a classic church planning model um, coupled with kind of a Bethel, spirit-led, Holy Spirit kind of thing. And we mix it together and we teach and train them and equip them so that they can go out and reach their people. Because this six-foot-four bald guy here, is not the guy that's going to go reach them. Um, we need the indigenous people in these countries. They, they know the culture. They know relationships. They know the religions. And they know how to reach them. And that's not to say that I can't have an influence, but we need them. We really need them. So that's our heart is to go and teach and train them. And so we put on these trainings, and it's just absolutely incredible. And when I talk about Holy Spirit, it's just amazing the things that happen every single session. I mean, there's not a session that we don't see at least 10 people healed. Um, we see prophetic words. We see just God moving in these people, and they're so open and ready for it because we need them to go out and be doing that. You know, Jesus used healing in a big way, and we need these people to do the same because, it, like in Bhutan, every believer that I met um, came to Jesus by healing, almost every single one of them. So it's powerful, very powerful. And the testimonies that we hear are absolutely incredible too. We come back six months later, and these people are already going out, and they're just taking it for Jesus. So it's really, really cool. So we're doing that in northern India. Next slide. Oh, go back one. We're at Bangladesh now. Um, you can even go back another one. Uh, oh, okay. That's no, fine. <laughs> These are changed. So last night, I, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, I don't have time. So, um, so then we're also working in Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a bit different. Bangladesh is more of a, um, a community development and um, church planning. So we're spending a lot of time in one area. And it all came through this friend of mine. He's, he's sitting in the middle, middle there. I met him in Malaysia. Last night I was using his name and I shouldn't have been, so I'm not going to use it again just for his protection, even though there's probably a billion people with his name in the country. But anyways, I met him in Malaysia. He was a migrant worker in Malaysia, which is where we were. Um, and he was brought in illegally as a migrant worker. And so he found Jesus there through YWAM. And um, when I first got there, they said, hey, your first job, we want you to take this group of Bangladeshi believers and you want you to disciple them. I said, cool, that sounds great. So this guy, I, I, right away, we just became great friends. And so I got to spend two, three years with him, and, and he's just like a brother to me. And, and at one point, he's a father and, and has two boys back in Bangladesh. Hadn't seen him for five years. And I could see his father's heart, and it was breaking my heart. But we also heard the Lord just say, hey, it's time for him to go home. And so we found a way to get him back. And, and so his family's right there, and he now has a new... Oh, that picture's not on there. He has a new baby as well. And so, um, so we got him home. And, and this guy is a uh, pastor uh, evangelist at heart. I mean, big time. And his heart is to reach his people. And so what's funny is when I told him, hey, um, um, you're, you're going home, he said, okay, I'll go on one condition. Oh, really? What's that? You're coming. 
And of course, he didn't mean live there, but to go with him, because I, I couldn't live there. He lives in a, a really, really remote place. And on the way there, he actually shared with me, hey, you're going to be the first white Westerner to ever visit this, my village. Anyways, it was absolutely amazing. And so what's been going on there over the last few years has been absolutely incredible. And so while we were there within, I was there only like three, four days. Within a day, we already led the first guy, a Hindu, to, to Jesus. It's a Muslim country, majority Muslims, but there is a lot of Hindu as well. So we led him to Jesus. I left. Within two to three months, this guy has 10 to 12 believers. He wanted 12 because he wanted to be just like Jesus. That was, seriously, that was his kind of thing. I want 12. Anyways, he's got, he's got much more than that now. But anyways, it was really awesome to watch him to begin to work in this totally unreached, dark location surrounded by Muslims. And he was a Muslim himself. And so it was, it's just what's amazing what's going on there. And so we knew, we knew that um, we were going to need to um, find a way to sustain him because Bangladesh is 45% unemployment. He came to Malaysia because he couldn't support his family. So sending him back means that he needed to be supported. And I like to call him a missionary in his own country. We're sending him back to reach his own people. He got what he needed in Malaysia, and that was Jesus. Now it's time for him to share that with his country. And so he's been doing that. So we knew we were going to support him, and we knew essentially you all were going to support him, which you have been, and you probably didn't know it. That's what's cool. And, um, and so I, I asked him one day, I said, hey, what's your dream? You know, did you guys know God wants us to dream? Because we're his dream. He dreamed and he thought of you. And so God wants us to dream as well. So I just really encouraged him to begin to dream. And, and he said, yeah, my dream is a dairy farm. I said, okay, I love it. There's no dairy farm in his region. And he said, I said, I love it. Let's start praying into this. And, and so we began the process. He was home. And so you can change the next slide. While he was there, it was super cool. He just, he just really miraculously from his four Muslim brothers who don't know he's a Christian, by the way, he can tell, he can tell no one he's a Christian there. Um, number one, it'd be heavy persecution and pretty likely death, pretty likely. I mean, he would be kicked out of his home. He would be banished from the village. He would be, it would just be, so him and his believers are kind of really underground, although there's a lot of suspicion because they see something different. They know something different. People's attracted to him. People are coming to him. He's, he's just different and they know, and they, they tend to know what's going on, but they, they haven't proven it. So Anyways, so we acquired, he acquired his father's land, and that's the land on the far left with all that water. So we were in the process. We filled it in with dirt, and it came time to build this dairy farm. And I told him, I said, hey, Suman, we're ready to go. You know, you want to start? And he said, well, yes, but I think there's something more important we need to build here. We need to build a place for, place for my guys to meet. Because what was happening was he was trying to disciple his guys. He just couldn't do it. He'd go into a tea house, and he'd be talking to them, and People are listening, and, and it just became very difficult and very dangerous. They would go off into the jungle and talk, but, but that really wasn't what he needed. So he said, I need a meeting room. And I said, okay, I don't, even, I don't even have to ask me. I don't have to pray about that one. Let's do it. So that's the first thing we built, and that's on the far right there. And you can flip the side now. And so it has been absolutely incredible, and he's been able to, to meet with his guys almost daily. He's meeting with people there. He's re they're reading the Bible. They're, they're going through Scripture. They're praying together, and they had their first Christmas party. He said, ever in his state, which is a huge state, he goes, this is the first Christmas party. This means so much to me. And so it's been really special for him to have that, and that building, again, was built. You know, I like to call it, it's a, it's a shine satellite church is what it is. Did you all you know you have a shine satellite church in Asia? Because you do. Uh, so anyways, um, anyway, so it, it's been absolutely fun to watch this grow, and that's kind of what would happen, and, and I'm, I'm going um, to end it because I'm already over. So um, I was going to share a, kind of a testimony, but 
la we can go to the last slide. I just want to show you the dairy farm because just in the last few months, we did build the dairy farm and he got his first cow. Woohoo! Dream fulfilled. God does that. So, um, so anyways, that's it for, for me and, and I'll let the next amazing missionary come up. So bless you guys. Hey, catch him afterwards while we're eating hot dogs and find out the next story he wanted to tell you because it's really good as well. Um, the next couple, again, just responding to what God has called them to do. And Grant and Kayla, if you want to come up here. And then as they do, uh, Grant is an uh, air traffic controller. And uh, wait till you hear how this all worked out. Uh, so we're going to start off just with a little background of MAF. If you could imagine with me a little girl, actually, here you go, right <laughs> here, uh, just a little bit younger than Evie here. She was outside on her porch on a sunny morning just playing when she started choking. And luckily her parents heard her and rushed out and started trying to help. And they just couldn't get what was stuck in there dislodged. So she's taking wheezing breaths and they're starting to panic and... Uh, so I'm thinking, all right, this is when you call 911 because <laughs> uh, you can't help her anymore. But this family lived in the Nuba Mountains in Sudan, and the nearest hospital was 300 miles away from them. So luckily, they were able to call a pilot, one with Mission Aviation Fellowship, and she flew in, got Lorraine and her father on an airplane into the hospital in Khartoum where they were able to perform a surgery and save her life. That's just one example of how God has been using MAF and the work they do around the world to serve his people. So uh, thanks so much for inviting us to be with you today. We're super excited to be here and share. Um, we were part of the JFC Days too here. And actually, uh, this is Everly, my daughter, youngest daughter. And then Rena's up there on the screen. She's having fun in kids' church. But they were both dedicated in this room, which is really cool to be back here. So my name's Grant. This is my beautiful wife, Kayla. Everly is our daughter, our youngest, and then Rena is six. Um, and so we are with Mission Aviation Fellowship, and we will soon be heading to Southeast Asia with them. Um, so MAF was founded in 1945 by several pilots who served in World War II. And that story, the pilot who picked up the little girl, Lorraine, her name was Betty Green, and she was the first MAF pilot in 1945. So that's a true story of, of what actually happened in Sudan while she was there. And uh, so this, to this day, we continue to use aircraft and technology uh, to share the love of Jesus Christ so that isolated people may be physically and spiritually transformed. MAF currently serves in 17 different countries in a variety of different ways, and our technical skills have opened doors into locations where um, others might not have been welcome. So where Betty was allowed to be a missionary um, in the Sudan, uh, a lot of the places where we serve, you're not allowed to be a missionary. So they say, what's the excuse on your passport, right? Like, they got to stamp your passport with something. So if you can say pilot, or you can say technical worker, you can say air traffic controller, that's the stamp. And then you're in a country sharing the gospel spending time with people, and also then serving them with that technical uh, abilities. The program that we're going to be part of with MAF is in Southeast Asia, and they started as a school for aviation. The, they were requested by the government to come in and just help build up their aviation program. So it was initially just English classes, and then it expanded to a professional pilot program and a career prep course. And then once we get there, it'll also include air traffic control as well. The school that started there produced the first professionally trained pilots that got to be trained in their home country. 
and ideally in the future, they're talking about using it to train students from neighboring countries as well. So it'll be more of a regional school. And so that's kind of, that's the cool thing is their request. We're coming in at their request um, and that's just open that door um, for us to share the gospel with them. We already have students who have been begun responding to the gospel. They're now becoming airline pilots in that area and they're going off as Christians doing doing uh, sharing the word with uh, with the other people that they're at in that area, which is really cool. So we're really excited um, to kind of join and expand on that platform that they have um, just to share the love of Christ with everybody. We started this journey because both of us like to read at night. And my grandma had written a book. She was actually a missionary in Paraguay and wrote about her experience. So we read that and thought, okay, we both really love to travel. That's one of the things that drew us together. So we should start looking into organizations and see if there's one that we could serve with the skills we have. And one of my friends actually told us about MAF. We'd never heard of it before. And I thought, well, that's perfect because Grant talks to airplanes all day. He loves airplanes. So this is a great fit. Let's do it. And I told Grant and he did not have that reaction. And my, my exact reaction, this is completely true, was... Uh, wow, I'm really glad there's people who want to go do that. <laughs> because that will never, ever be me. Um, and, and while that was truly my initial reaction, God kind of grabbed us on that. We began to volunteer locally with MAF. They have a volunteer program where you can just volunteer locally. Um, and through that, we got to visit one of their bases in Indonesia. We visited uh, Tarakan, Indonesia, where they serve. Um, found out later that that was totally uh, the wrong way to do that. We could have been arrested a lot of times, apparently, but hey, you know, God provided for that. And um, we left that experience really excited about joining MAF, and we thought, okay, Mission Aviation Fellowship, I'm an air traffic controller, this will work perfectly. Um, the only problem is air traffic control is usually a government-run entity. Um, they don't like to give government jobs to foreigners because then you're giving away jobs for, for national people. And MAF flies in really hard-to-reach places out in the middle of nowhere where you don't need an air traffic controller saying, you're the only plane that was here in the last two weeks, and you're the only plane that'll be here in the next two weeks. So we worked with them. Um, I love flying. I am a pilot as well. So we landed on being pilot. I got an IT degree. Uh, that's another utilization that we do a lot of uh, connectivity and stuff out far. Um, and so after six years, two children, and just a whole bunch of tasks completed, we were finally ready to apply. Well, Grant thought we were ready. <laughs> um, but despite my initial excitement about finding MAF, when that six years was happening and Grant had all the classes, I was a little distracted from our dream, uh, recovering from postpartum depression, figuring out how do you actually get a toddler to go to sleep, <laughs> which is, we still haven't really figured that one out yet. But, um, so when we actually sent in our application to MAF and it became a real thing that we were actually doing and we didn't just tell people, oh yeah, sometime in the future, I was diagnosed with severe anxiety and we ended up having to put off our application six months so that we could focus on healing and just have a lot of prayer and we were surrounded with some really great support system here of... Um, family that knows and loves God and could walk alongside us during that time and a lot of friends from our home church that supported us and helped take care of our girls. <laughs> um, so after that time, 
that six months just brought so much healing and so much growth and showed me a new part of God and my relationship with him that I know I need going forward. So at this point, I can see it as a beautiful blessing because it holds some of my sweetest moments with God and brought me to a different depth with him that I didn't have before. He also used that six months, not just for me, but in another way as well. And God was doing something that we didn't even expect during that time. So because we had pushed back our application six months, the week that we got officially accepted with MAF to join them and to come on staff, a gentleman sat at headquarters and there's a whole like mobilization wing that they just kind of put out, you know, crazy requests to like, hey, if you could find this person, that'd be awesome. Or you could find this person. He said, hey, I got a weird one for you. And I mean, it's been around for 75 years. We've never needed an air traffic controller. Do you think you could maybe find an air traffic controller? Because we could really use them on our program. And we just went, okay, God, that was an answer to a prayer that we didn't even think to pray. It was, it was something that we had totally written off as something that wasn't going to happen. And God brought that around. And so so we're just really excited um, just to kind of step through that in obedience and just step through that and go where, where obviously God wants us. So for us, um, this fall holds a lot of training for us. And then um, our plan is to leave for the field in January. Um, God's been providing abundantly during this fundraising time. Uh, we're really happy to announce that we've already raised 100% of our one-time goal, so that's completed, and we're currently over 85% of the way towards our monthly goal. A big part of that is because of Shine Church and because of you guys, so thank you so much for that. We still have that last 15% that we've got to raise before we can go, so um, we'd just like to offer you guys the opportunity, if you would like to partner with us in this mission, we would love that. If you'd be willing to pray for us regularly, or if you'd be willing to support us monthly um, to get us just over that last little hump so that we can really go share the gospel in Southeast Asia and um, just really bless these these people who just don't have access to the gospel where they're at. So uh, we have a booth. I think most of you guys saw it when we came in, and we've got prayer cards. I'd love to answer any other questions. Again, thank you guys for what you've already done. Um, thank you for what you're going to do in the future, and really all that glory just goes to God. Everything that we do just goes to God in that. So thank you. Appreciate it. And so the next missionary is actually going to be introduced by a couple from the church here on the video. Brad and Kim Sesh. Uh, we work with the Christian Chiropractors Association down in Cabo and Puerto Vallarta. And um, I'm a doctor of chiropractic, and we have a ministry there. Brian and Jackie Rufal headed up. It's called Los Cabos Missions for Christ. And Shine Church is giving to that, and they do a lot of relief uh, in the barrios, people that don't have running water or uh, electricity, and they feed about, I believe, about 3,000 meals a week. And so, do you have anything to say? And I get to hug people like crazy when they come in for a chiropractic adjustment, and so that really... Uh, makes me big time happy, and uh, especially during this COVID time, man, the people have really needed to have that embrace. Uh, so I so I feel so thankful. So thank you, Shine Church, for giving to Los Cabos Missions for Christ down in Cabo. You guys are such a blessing, and man, if you ever get a chance to go down there and see them, you would be so incredibly blessed. Awesome. Have a great day. Bye -bye. 
Hi everybody, my name is Brian Ruppel and this is my wife Jacqueline. Hello. And our daughters Ella. Hi. And Grace. Hi. And we are the Faces of Los Cabos Missions for Christ. And now we're going to teleport to tell you a little bit of our ministry. Okay, so we would like to just share with you a little bit about uh, all of the different aspects of the ministry that God has put into effect here. Looks like it sounds right. But we can cut that out. So uh, what happened was about four and a half, five years ago, my family and I, uh, we really had the calling to become full-time missionaries to Cabo San Lucas. And because of that, we raised funds by selling about 1,200 to 1,300 enchiladas, raised enough funds to come here on a short-term mission trip. Praise God that I love to cook. So <laughs> that was wonderful. So through those uh, the short-term mission trip, we were here, we discovered everything that God had unfolded to us mm -hmm. in regards to all of the different needs uh, that are here in Cabo San Lucas. We went back to Ohio and we sold everything that we owned and we packed our family up and we loaded into our SUV and drove seven days across country. And once we got here, just uh, God continued to open the doors for the ministry. Um, it started with having our outreach events. And during those outreach events, we would offer everything from clothing donations to food, to chiropractic care, to medical care. Um, and we called those events different things. Uh, some, sometimes it was a half hour in a prayer. Sometimes it was a taco and a prayer. And through these events, God grew what we now call our sponsorship program, where um, somebody sponsors a family that's in need, and we're trying to teach them how to fish. We're not trying to take care of anybody here in a way that um, we're trying to teach them how to take care of themselves. So we offer this program for families who are very, very much in need, very impoverished here, and we sew into them. And currently we have 15 families. We did have 17, but uh, it's God that two of them have graduated. And in total, we've actually had 17 now graduate out of the sponsorship program. So there's been 30, a little bit over 30 families that have come out of uh, the sponsorship program. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the sponsorship program does is it gives us the opportunity to sow into families on a more consistent basis. We get to know them more than just at an event, a one-time event. Uh, we get to see them every month consistently for a year. Somebody sponsors them from the United States, we take them to the grocery store, and we pay for their groceries for the month. It's an accountability part on their part, our part, and uh, we're accountable to God, and actually we then make them accountable. And so that program has led into a vision of us also building homes for the families that we've seen that are in dire need, that are like living in a, something that's just unlivable, in a tiny little shack with a family of five. And a cardboard roof and dirt floors. So uh, we're actually getting ready to break ground on our 11th house bill since we've moved here. Mm -hmm. Praise God. And uh, all of those funds came in really quickly. So we're starting on our 11th house bill for Pastor Margarita. And then through that, we've seen the house building become a platform for the, the people who receive the house to actually start sewing into their neighborhood, mm -hmm. to their neighbors. And um, we're a bridge. We're a bridge that actually brings churches together, other ministries here together, and through that we decided that I think God was showing us that we needed a community center because we're all about community and 
after all, isn't that what we're doing? I think that's what we're doing. We're, we are just discipling people. We're loving on people the way that Jesus would want us to love them. And I think that the community center was a vision that we had two years ago so that we could actually sow into more than just the families that God had given us. And we can really, really, really reach many. Yeah. So the sponsorship program and the community center truly do go hand in hand mm -hmm. because the sponsorship program is not meant to be a handout, it's a hand up. Mm -hmm. Through the community center, which is actually where we're at right now, these are some pictures uh, from past events and things like that. Uh, but the community center is a place where we can have Bible study, mm -hmm. where we can have uh, a doctor come in once a week and uh, provide free medical care. We can have uh, haircuts once a month. We can give food away. We can And now we have somebody that's going to come in and actually do English classes. To teach the community how to speak English is invaluable here. Because if you teach them how to speak English, then they can actually get a job that is going to pay much, much more than if they didn't know English. So that for us is like a wonderful blessing, an incredible blessing. And we're going to be starting that pretty soon. So we just wanted to thank you all for sowing into the ministry that God has built here and is continuing to build up. Uh, it has grown leaps and bounds, and we're just excited to see what's what's in store for uh, the ministry in the future. Yeah, we're very excited, and we're very grateful. We're thankful, thankful for you sowing into us, and we're thankful for you, most importantly, for sowing into this community. Yes, and if you want to learn more, feel free to visit us on all of the many outlets that we have, we have Facebook. If you look us up, we're at Los Cabos Missions for Christ. If you look us up on Instagram, we are at Los Cabos Missions. And our website, of course, is loscabosmissions.com. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We do respond very quickly. And uh, we look forward to hopefully meeting you all. God bless you. Bye. All right. <laughs> what do you do when you have two mics? I guess you're speaking to both of them. Um, Paul and Naomi, if you guys would come up here. Um, with these guys, uh, they were our very first missionaries from Shine Church that we actually sponsored. You were the first ones that we, that we were able to commit to when we became a church uh, just under three years ago. And so um, we love you, and we just love all, everything that you're doing. So much. We're honored. Good morning, Shine. I'm morning. Paul, and this is Naomi. Uh, actually, again, thanks to Brian, he kind of laid a good foundation for the rest of us because he started talking about unreached peoples. And we all know that Jesus himself said he can't come back until the gospel has been preached throughout the whole world, right? Only then can he come back. And I just love to see that there are a lot of us here focusing on unreached people groups, pretty much everyone here. Um, and one of the things that he said last night uh, re kind of reminded me that there has been a massive uh, change in global missions. That is that from around 1750 and up until the next 230 years, up until around 1980 or so, uh, missions was essentially from the West to the rest. Okay, it was from North America and Europe to the rest of the world. But no longer is that the case. It really is now from everywhere to everywhere. It's true. That is not an exaggeration. And uh, one of the, for example, when Naomi and I began our missionary careers a long time ago, 
won't even tell you what century that was in. Uh, we were reaching an unreached people group called the Chinese, mainland China. But today, we are doing something very different. And in just a minute, we'll explain a little bit what that is. But um, we are 100% invested in something called the Chinese Missionary Movement. And this is the fact that a formerly unreached people group are now uh, mobilized and sending out their own missionaries to many different parts of the world. It's an amazing, wonderful thing. And they are targeting uh, extremely hard soil. They are seeking to reach very difficult to reach peoples, Hindu, uh, Buddhists, and uh, Muslims, for the most part, are in that area. So um, the places where they serve are also often, very often, persecuted peoples. Uh, it's uh, often illegal to share the gospel where they are and so forth. One of the examples of, you can go to the next slide, one of the examples of how, um, how dangerous uh, it is for some of them is that uh, uh, just a few days ago we spoke with a, uh, one of our young missionaries. He's a, he's a young husband, a young father, uh, and he shared with us that uh, every time he had to travel with his family through a Taliban-controlled part of the country, he would get so nervous and so tense that he would get car sick and vomit in the car. Uh, he was afraid for his own life, and he was afraid for the lives of his daughter and his wife. Um, and even today in the place where they live, it's not at all uncommon for bombs to go off in the vicinity of their home. Okay, this is quite hard when you've got a young daughter that you're trying to raise in that kind of environment. You can go to the next uh, slide here. Um, almost all of the countries, oh, is that right? Okay, I guess I need to share this too, sorry. Um, this is a, not the person, but it illustrates another case of just how difficult it has been for some of them is that one of our missionaries who is trying to uh, grow crops in order to support himself and his family uh, had his wheat field set on fire by a jealous local neighbor just before the harvest. It destroyed his entire crop. Uh, it's been quite difficult. You can go to the next slide. And of course, uh, this past year uh, for Chinese has been difficult because of a large, strong anti-China sentiment uh, to the point where uh, they've had rocks thrown at them. Uh, they have been told to get off of a bus that they were on or were not allowed permission to get on the bus just because they're Chinese. Uh, and so they've had to deal with a lot of anti-China sentiment over the last bit of time as well. Okay, next slide, please. Um, almost all of the countries where they are serving are closed countries, meaning that it is illegal to share the gospel it is illegal to convert to Christianity, and it's illegal to convert someone to Christianity in the places where they live. Um, the government often uh, openly persecutes believers in those countries. But for Chinese, this is not anything new. They're used to being persecuted. They're used to the pressure and the stress of everyday life in a place where you can be put in prison because of your faith. So when they're serving in these other countries, they have an advantage over a lot of us because they've lived under that before, so it's not surprising to them. Last year alone, 26 of, the, of their supporting churches, okay, we, we serve a large network of, of a Chinese, like a denomination, if you will, a large Chinese network. 26 of their supporting churches were shut down last year. 
And that means that the support that they received from those churches was either cut off or significantly diminished because they had no way to channel funds to the people uh, where, they, you know, where they're serving. If in China you are invited to tea, okay, that does not mean that you're being invited to a, a friendly social outing or a time of nice fellowship with a friend. To be invited to tea means you're about to be interrogated by the police. Uh, just most of our missionaries, if not all of them, when they go back home at a time that should be a time of rest for them, a time to sort of unwind, maybe to raise support, maybe to report to their churches like we're doing now, for them, uh, they'll most likely be invited to tea. Uh, we had one brother who's just, they're still in China right now, but over the last couple of months, he's been invited to tea three times. And they have confiscated his phone and done lots of other things as well. So they're used to persecution. They're used to what it feels like to live in a persecuted country. Next slide, please. In one country uh, where there are a lot of Syrian refugees, one of our Chinese families was driving through the street, and uh, all of a sudden, a, a bunch of young Syrian refugee boys began to throw rocks at them, rocks at their car. And they also had little children inside the car. But when they saw this, I think God really touched their hearts and said to them, you know, these little children, these young youth, these young Syrian refugee children have no, nothing else better to do with their time. They don't know anything else. They don't have an opportunity to go to school. They don't have an opportunity to get an education. They have no hope. They have no direction. They have no future. And so this, our, our missionaries just were touched by this, and they felt like, okay, we need to do something. So they opened a center uh, for these uh, refugee uh, youth. Okay, you can go to the next slide. And in this uh, center, uh, they began to teach life skills. They began to teach uh, computer, sewing, uh, anything that these young people could use to have a different hope and a different future for their lives. You can go to the next slide. Uh, and so um, it's just been, it's been an amazing thing to see what's been happening. Okay, you can go to the next slide, please. In one case, you, can you see the picture? I didn't point this out last night. But this is a, a, a picture of a mosque and a church that are actually embracing each other. Because part of the purpose of this center is not only to teach life skills, but also to provide a healing for people who have been deeply traumatized, if you know anything about Syria, you know what I'm talking about, who've been deeply traumatized by, by, uh, by life and by the things they've experienced. And so this center is offering a place for emotional healing as well for them. One of the young women, you can go to the next slide, uh, this woman here uh, was kind of curious about what was going on in this little center down the street from where she was living. So just out of curiosity, she walked inside one day and to make a long story short, before long, she came to know Christ in that center and began to became one of the co-workers in the center as well. But unfortunately, shortly after she became a Christian, she developed cancer in her lower jaw. But the Lord healed her, literally healed her from that. And uh, today, she is working in the center as an effective evangelist among Syrian refugees. She knows the language and the culture, and she's doing a great job with that. So next slide, please. Our, just in a sense, here's what we do, what Naomi and I do. Um, we prepare, we mentor, 
and we provide care, member care, for Chinese missionaries who are serving outside of China in, uh, among unreached people groups. So you can go to the next slide. So we, um, when it's, before COVID hit, we would travel to the fields. Uh, we would visit them in wherever country they were serving. We would spend uh, days or weeks in one place and individual to individual, couple to couple, family to family, team to team. We would, we would either train or we would provide member care uh, and just uh, try to help them again so that they could have long-term and effective ministry among difficult situations and among uh, unreached peoples, okay? Uh, like everybody else, last year we were hit uh, with uh, the virus and we were forced, like everybody else, to do a lot from Zoom. Uh, you can go to the next slide, but Lord willing, we hope to get back to uh, visiting them again on the fields. Uh, and it, I, we shared just a couple of stories, but actually Naomi and I uh, currently serve about 80 adult Chinese missionaries and a whole bunch of little kids. Uh, in about 20 different countries of the world. It's Middle East, Central Asia, Southeast Asia, and the Far East. So um, as people have said before, uh, it's not just us, it's you with us doing this together. We, I love the fact that Shine is missionally uh, local and international. And I think it's an amazing balance that they've struck here. I, I, I thank God for the leadership of this church. We thank God for you as well. Naomi? Well, thank you so much. Really, um, I'm just looking at these pictures and just think about that because we know them. You know, we visited. But in listening to a new missionaries like, you know, the, the Margis, is okay, just really touched my heart yesterday and today because I remember the days that we started off. It was in 89, so we're all folks. <laughs> but that how God led. You know, we carried that little baby Joshua and took off. But it's just in the course of 30-some years, our ministry changed, evolved, because God has done so much. You know, the things are changing, and this world is changing. And I just am impressed to see still being sent like them, young people, right? And old folks like us is still doing something. <laughs> and that's just the life that God has really brought in, especially at Jubilee First we learn how to hear God, how to prophesy and minister and, you know, praying for healing. And look what they're doing. I mean, it was just really amazing how everything comes together to accomplish what the great mission, you know, commission is all about. And I'm really thankful because you guys pray. You guys know how to support. And that's what we're doing for these young Chinese missionaries and praying for them and being a mom grandmother now <laughs> and you know how to have kids overseas they don't know the language yet and they have to go on labor i mean they don't know what to do and they're not having all the support here like like you know our time in lamar's class you know how to breathe and all they don't have any of that so they'll call in and say we're in labor so we are on the phone like assisting them how to breathe and stuff so really it goes far i mean you guys do that. You can do that, too. I mean, you're going to be supporting this young family. It's awesome. But in listening to their stories, life hits hard places, like depression and all this. They're experiencing that. COVID, yes, but marriage problem, kids' sicknesses, and parents die. They can't go home. 
So really, life is real. And it's just like us, right, people? So thank you so much for doing what you do for us and for them. And we just continue to do that until God, you know, Jesus returns. Just yeah. a final thing, that if you would like to receive our prayer letter, uh, we send one out about once a month. You're welcome to sign up your name here, and uh, we'll be glad to add you to the list. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, and then our uh, final missionary is Bruce and Denisha, and Bruce um, has founded Gen 12 Ministries, and uh, he worked at Jubilee um, in a part of the missions department and just felt the Lord call him out of that to this ministry, and so um, are you going to talk? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Hi, I'm Denisha. Um, I'm just going to share, first of all, good logo. We'll explain why in a minute. Um, share Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was special. Like, she never talks in front of the crowd. So. <laughs> Notice she left the microphone. It's awesome. <clears throat> well, thank you for having us. Uh, I'm Bruce, and uh, Gen 12 Ministries is based out of Genesis 12. Uh, I do want to point to our logo just to show uh, it is the Gen 12 uh, over the 1040 window countries. We have Northern Africa on this side, parts of Southeast Asia, and that's the countries that we work in and operate very specifically. Uh, but it was also created by the wonderful, amazing, multi-talented, incredible Pastor Peter Gertis. So, <clears throat> did I get them all? Okay. Anyway, um, we are uh, we focus on two things at Gen 12 Ministries, and what that is is that we focus on training and teaching pastors uh, from countries that we work in. Specifically, we love to take pastors, we love to take business owners here from the United States, take them to some of the most dangerous places in the world and some of the most undesired places to go in the world uh, to show them what the church looks like or may not actually look like because it doesn't even exist in some of these places that we at least think that it does. And so we work among unreached people trying to uh, train up pastors, train up missionaries among their people so that, again, just like Brian said, they can go out and reach their people or their neighbors because uh, it's going to be extremely hard for a white guy to go out and say, hey, you should listen to me. But when they are part of the culture, they speak the language, they know what to do, then they are able to be heard and, and be so much more effective. And so if we can use our resources, just like God said, if we can take what we've been blessed with and bless the nations, uh, then that is ultimately our goal. And our goal is to, is to see Revelation 7, 9 achieved. And that is in the end where it says that all nations, tribes, tongues, uh, and people will be represented in heaven. And so we look forward to that time. And our thought was, if you look at that 1040 map, and if uh, one third of the world is not even reached, where do we need to go? And that's what we decided is this is where it needs to be, especially when you find out that less than 1% of the resources from the church that go into missions go to that part of the world, less than 1%. It's actually said that uh, more money is spent on dogs, Halloween costumes every year than what's given to missionaries in that part of the world. And so just put that in perspective. Sometimes numbers are hard to understand, but I think we can see that's not quite right. And so we, take, we love to do that. We love to be able to go to those countries 
and train those pastors, equip the church, but also educate pastors and business owners here as to how they can help and be effective. And another way we do that is through missionary care. We, uh, we try to connect pastors and people in the church with their missionaries in the field and say, when was the last time you saw what they were doing? When was the last time you connected with them directly? When was the last time you even saw firsthand what it is that they are doing in that country. And so we love to take them, connect with them, take those missionaries, encourage them, work with them. And what we end up doing is we go visit them, see what it is they do, learn about everything that we can do to help them. But then we take them out of that context and take them somewhere just awesome. We use Gen 12 money to do that, which is ultimately God's money. But we don't ask them to use their own time. And we'll say, for example, if they're in Africa, why don't we just take you and take you on a safari? There are people that have been serving some of these countries and they haven't even been able to see the beauty of the country that they work in. And so we love to take them, take them out of that context, take them to a place for a couple days and just allow them to just share with us their heart and what's going on. And we counsel them and work with them. We allow them to have the safety to be able to yell at us, to cry with us, to rejoice with us. We don't care. But when you have a pastor that sits across from a missionary and they recognize that the church hasn't been doing enough to support them, it is just priceless because it creates a relationship that this church already gets to know because they have done a great job of reaching out to the missionaries and being able to stay connected and allowing the missionaries to say, we're not just sending you to a faraway place and just expecting that you're going to do good. We are saying a part of our church is also going to be planted there, and you are an extension of this church. And when you're able to do that, it makes somebody not feel abandoned. And when I can set up a missionary and say, who is your pastor? When you have a problem and you need help, who do you call? And 99% of the time, they have no clue. And so that is hard on a missionary in the field when they're not able to do that. And so our goal and our heart <clears throat> is to connect the church with the missionaries in the field so that that doesn't happen anymore, so that they can continue to do what God has called them to do. So I don't want to share too much more about what Gen 12 does, but I do want to end with a story about what God is doing. Um, less than three days ago, I was actually standing in Afghanistan. And I was standing at the Afghanistan-Iranian border, just staring at a bunch of people that didn't know who Jesus was. And I'd met a lot of people where they didn't know who Jesus was, they'd never heard who Jesus was, and honestly, if they had, they wouldn't admit it because they would probably be killed. It's just that type of people. In some of these places in the world, it's just how it is. But I, as I was sitting there, I was just praying. It was my last night there. I was like, God, how are we going to do this? I'm re standing in one of the most unreached parts of the world, looking at what seemed to be impossible, and was wondering, Lord, what is it that we need to do to continue this project? And it was then that a gentleman came and walked up to me, and we started a conversation. It was towards the evening, and the sun was setting. It was beautiful. But he started having a conversation as we talked. He eventually asked, so you're a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. And he asked what I was there doing. Of course, I was there teaching at the university because I have business skills, right? That's why I was there. <clears throat> I'm not going to admit what I'm actually doing there. And uh, he was like, oh, that's just too bad because I'm a Christian as well. And he admitted to me that he was a Christian. And then he proceeds to tell me that his background is actually comes from a people group that uh, is known to be what you guys would call Taliban. And so not only is he a Christian, but he comes from a place where it's not actually believed that there are no Christians. And if it's found that he is a Christian, he'd be immediately killed. And he's admitting to me, and he proceeds to tell me that he wants to be trained as a pastor to take the gospel to other places. And so as I'm standing in this country wondering how are we going to be able to establish a school to be able to train pastors, I have somebody coming to me through the power of God. And it helped me realize that it doesn't really matter what I'm doing, where I'm at, that God is still active in dark places, that there is still a light that represents his goodness 
and his hope and who he is, even in the darkest places that we may not see. And so that's what I would encourage you. Find your place and how you can help so many different people. Get these guys funded. Help with the different organizations that are represented here. I've had the opportunity to, to go to Mexico for my first missions trip. I've known the Pruitts for several years, and they've encouraged me, and, and, and I've spoken with them about many things. Brian and I have actually traveled before and seen some incredible stuff, and his training that they do is incredible, and it's actually encouraged me to do what I do as well. I've also been flown out of some really sketchy places in the world by Missionary Aviation Fellowship, and I'm very grateful for those people. So you can't go wrong. Do whatever it is God's asking you to do to get involved, but he isn't asking you as an option. It is a command. He wants you to be a part of it no matter what it is, and that's our job as believers is to advance the gospel so that we can see Revelation 7-9 come to completion. Um, I hope that was incredibly edifying for you to hear. Um, and just so you know, again, it's, it's through you guys that we are able to do this. It's through your giving, your generosity. Um, I am hoping that as they spoke that there was something in you maybe that uh, sparked that maybe maybe one or more of you in this room would be like well maybe maybe I need to be doing something that goes well way beyond what I'm currently doing if that is the case let us know because we want to come alongside you and help you accomplish that um, for others um, you are very much where Grant was well I'm glad other people do that kind of thing um, and that's okay, too. Um, we need to be praying for these missionaries. We need to be lifting them up. There are certain times, I believe with all of my heart, that the Holy Spirit will remind us of one of these families. And it's in that moment of time, if we will just lift up a prayer, we will stop what we're doing, pray for them, that it probably is getting them through something that they are going through that we have no idea. And through our prayers, we change the heavenlies. We shift the heavenly climate, and it could be over one of these families and what they're going through currently. And so be obedient to lifting these families up uh, when it comes to mind. Uh, maybe you're challenged and stretched in regards to giving. Uh, maybe you um, are listening to these stories and go, wow, I, I want to support these guys. I want to help them out. Um, either contact them individually or let us know through the church, and we'll make sure uh, that it gets to them. Uh, but whatever it is, um, we're a family, and we get to participate in this together. And I hope that it was a, just a celebration for you to listen to these incredible families that are doing such incredible work throughout our world and and they're doing it but you are too because you are praying and supporting them um we're about to eat some brats and hot dogs and celebrate our dads and all of that but um we asked you guys to pray for a group of individuals last weekend that went into mexico and what they did is it was a four-day trip they built two houses um with homes of hope and uh, i want you to just quickly hear uh, just some quick testimonies of the power of that trip. And so uh, if the Enders and the Stits could come up here, and I believe, Sean, you're going to give a word too. So come on, Sean. Sean's our sound guy. He likes to sit in the dark in the back. And so we're making him speak too. Uh, but just listen to the impact of this story, or these, this trip that they went last week and they just got back. I know they're probably still processing everything that was happening. Um, but um, I think you'll be 
incredibly touched, and my hope is that when we plan the next one, you'll want to sign up. All right, thank you, Pastor Dan. Uh, I'll start and just give a little bit of context on Homes of Hope. Um, it's a it's a ministry through YWAM. Uh, they've been doing it since about 1970. Um, I was amazed at how well and how organized um, the program is. Uh, it's it's certainly one of those experiences that um, words just kind of don't do it justice. Um, uh, very impactful. Um, it changes, it changed our lives, it obviously changes the lives of the families. Um, we sent uh, 25 people, we sent two teams um, and built two houses. Uh, it was, again, absolutely amazing by the first day. Um, you know, four walls are up, a roof is on, uh, first layer of asphalt um, on, the, on, the, on the roof, and you know, how 12 people come together and put a house like that together again in a day. I'm just sitting there thinking, what just happened? It's amazing. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's truly great, um, and um, one of the statistics that they like to give is uh, it advances the lives because the, the program is to build a house for, these are the, really the poorest of the poor um, in Mexico. We were in Tijuana, and uh, it's, um, the, one of the statistics, again, that they like to um, share is, is it advances their lives um, 10 years. Um, so... If you can look at your life, look back 10 years, 2011, where you were at, and imagine fast-forwarding that to today in, in literally two days. Um, that's what it took to build this house, these houses for them. So, um, and one thing I, I forgot to mention last night, it's actually uh, very family-friendly. <laughs> so uh, one of the, um, uh, it was a family on the purple team brought their kids. They were seven and 10. Uh, hopefully I got their ages right. And, uh, uh, I, you know, to me, it's like a great way to guilt your kids in forever to, you know, uh, there's to do whatever you need them to do until they get, you know, in fact, I'm going to try it on my own kids. But, um, uh, uh, yeah, they're starving kids in Tijuana. They actually see that. So, um, anyway, thank you for shine support. It was awesome. So um, I had the opportunity with this family to take them shopping, and I just wanted to speak to that for a little bit. So imagine if you had were given five weeks' worth of your pay to go shopping, grocery shopping, maybe to get food, maybe to get clothing, medicine. So we took this family who had never probably left their surroundings um, and took them to Walmart. So then when they've never been to Walmart, so to tell them they're going to get five weeks pay pretty much is what you guys helped out with and take them shopping. It was incredible. And the fact that um, when they get there, right, they're used to maybe buying food for the day and they're like, okay, we're going to have this sugar and this piece of meat where we're like, no, you need five sugars and you need, you know, three, talk about toilet paper shorter, right? I'm like, no, you need all this toilet paper, right? So it was just cool to see that in their mindset change. They also, you could start to tell that, um, it wasn't so much about them anymore. I was like, oh, well, my neighbor on the street needs sugar too. I'm going to get an extra one for them, right? So that's what you guys got to do by bringing us down there for this mission trip. So I just wanted to share that. All right. Um, I'd like to share two things, uh, just very brief. And first one is that what I got uh, from out of this event was the, uh, you know, I was... Um, ordinary Christian, but I felt like an extraordinary Christian just doing, participating in all that event because 
we were blessing them, but I was blessed by this whole thing because, you know, we were just daily, I was just stuck in the daily little idiotic stuff that asking God for, you know, spoiled, you know, uh, God for spoiled, I was a spoiled Christian and, you know, little things like that I was asking God, but uh, it showed me bigger picture what I can do and come out of, you know, um, just doing um, little things that I can do bigger things in seeing God's plan and God's beautiful work and what I can receive from, you know, uh, from that is it was a blessing for me. And I, uh, our God loves me no matter what condition I am, but I felt like I was extra loved, extra special. And I proud, I was proud of myself and that, um, so it was really good. And second thing was the, all the friendship we built. You know, I know the faces of uh, Shine uh, people, but I don't know deeply. So we were able to engage each other and uh, know each other more. And the work that we did, it felt like the Holy Spirit worked through us. So we weren't even tired. We were just laughing and, you know, working together, joking. And it was great friendship we built. So it I, I have nothing bad about this trip. It was just wonderful and fun, and, and it just it was too short. That's the thing. So that's all I can say. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, I've never been out of the country, and uh, so being able to go down and, and help out and do a little bit of what I've been trained to do, you know, as far as construction is concerned was awesome. Um, we were joking that next time we want to go to the rainforest, uh, you know, get a little change of scenery, but you know, it's it's definitely nice to be back, but it's also just a double-edged sword of you'd rather be down there, you know, still helping and, and blessing people, and uh, you know, the families were so grateful for what we did for them, and you know, they're like, whenever you come back, you can stay here, you can eat, so it was it was awesome. So like Dan said, um, we were there about a week ago and still processing thoughts. Uh, for me, it reaffirmed one of the things that I've found in my life, and that is that you can build a great community when you have a team of people that have aligned thoughts and are pulling in the same direction. Um, that's what this mission trip reaffirmed for me. But one of the things that it, it changed my way of thinking on is what a mission trip's really about. So I went down there with the expectation that we would be building a house and blessing another family. Um, for me, that's something that's comfortable because I enjoy working with my hands. I don't mind getting dirty and, you know, where I struggle is really personal interaction. Um, but something I did that, to make this mission trip special for me was to step out of my comfort zone. Um, something came across crossed me right before I got out of the van and I hurriedly walked up the hill to greet the uh, family and said hello to the uh, father in Spanish, which my Spanish is not good. But um, anyway, it set the, the trip off on the right, right foot for me where it was continuously reaching out, making relationships. And instead of going down and being a blessing for that family, which we really were, I think that we were all blessed tenfold for what we did. Um, and I think that would be the warning that I give to everybody is that step out of your comfort zones, but go on a mission and expect that to really rattle who you are and how you come back. It's, it's amazing. And uh, I really would encourage everybody to join with friends, family, neighbors, um, fellow people from Shine Church and do whatever you can, either locally or globally. So that's it.
Um, I'm sitting here listening to the five of uh, these individuals from Shine Church. Um, they are you. Uh, you are they. I, it, they're just, they're, they're people that serve here at the church. Um, to be quite honest with you, they kind of serve um, in, in ministries that maybe you don't even recognize. The Enders help out in our nursery. Um, Ryan, Mandy help with security and doing different things. Mandy helps with the Angel Tree Project. Sean is in the dark. You can never even see him. Um, and yet um, the Lord stretched them to a place where all five of them were willing to get up and speak in front of people. And last week we learned that people would rather die than speak in front of other people. Um, and so it's just amazing what God can do when we stretch ourselves. And so um, thank you guys for sharing your testimony. Um, as we eat, I want you to go talk to them. It's interesting because the people that I've talked to that went on that trip, they all mentioned giving the keys to the family and the fact that they would gather around and they each said something to the family. And I'm guessing the reason they didn't mention it is because every time they mention it, they start to they tear up and cry because it was such a powerful moment. Um, and so we, we get the opportunity. And so we're going to do that trip again. I would encourage you to sign up and be a part of that. Um, maybe there are other things that God puts in your heart. Let us know because we want to come alongside you, and we'd love to see that happen. I know uh, there's an individual in our church that wants to go to Africa, and I said, well, do you want to go by yourself, or should we put a trip together? And he was like, let's put a trip together. And so we're trying to work on that. Um, we want to get out of these four walls and we want to get into our world, uh, whether that's locally here in Castle Rock, Douglas County, or going into uh, different countries that make up the world. But um, God, again, is going to speak to each one of us individually. And um, we just wanted to have a weekend where you got to hear what was going on. And again, hope it was incredibly encouraging uh, for you and challenging and that there's maybe something that God would, would prompt you to step into. And so we're going to pray for the food and then we're going to go out and just have a great time of fellowship. Make sure, I know Rob is out there cooking brats and hot dogs uh, like a madman. So make sure you eat them all. No one leaves until all the food's gone. Okay, so let's agree with that. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, God, I thank you for what you're doing in the world. I thank you for these missionaries and we lift them up and we ask that you would protect them, that you would support them, that you would remind us about what they're doing and that we would be just faithful to praying for them. Lord, we pray that you would do the supernatural in them and that they would see incredible fruit as they just step out into what you've called them to do. God, I thank you for the team that just got back and we now pray that you would help them to just process and, and to remember all the things that, that you called them to do. And God, I pray that you stir in their hearts just a desire uh, to, to never forget um, how you impacted their lives and the families that they built homes for. And Lord, I pray for everybody that uh, is part of this family that just got to hear these stories. Lord, stir in our hearts what our part is in regards to uh, reaching the world with your good news and, and with who you are. And so, Lord, we pray for a blessing over the food and the fellowship. We ask that the food would nourish us um, in our physical bodies and that the fellowship would nourish us in, our, in the emotional and mental state of this family. Lord, we thank you for these things in your name. Amen.